Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. We're starting to transition now in the book of Romans. The first few chapters, Paul is dealing with man's condition. The third chapter kind of culminates that. The fourth chapter, he wants to show us that it's through faith that we are justified by God and that there is no distinction between Gentile or Jew, that he is the father of faith and we belong to that family as well as the Jews, that it's not through law that he was justified but through faith that it was credited to him as righteousness. And we saw how God does the miraculous, and we focused on that Sunday, how he is the God who brings life to the dead and calls the things that are not as though they were. What an amazing God that is who is able to do amazing things. And it's great because now we're transitioning into how can this be something that our lives grab hold of and what is the benefit to our lives as we are following the Lord? And, and we're going to look at some of these things tonight. Starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Wow, there's a lot here. He starts off, though, with therefore. And the therefore is there for a reason. It's there because he, he's just finished telling us that we have righteousness from God through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's there. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Okay, since this has taken place, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Have you ever been in an argument with someone? Has there ever been a relationship where you're not at peace? If you're married, I know you can fill in the blanks there. there there's been a point where there is not peace in that relationship. Any close relationship has times where there's not peace in the relationship, where there's friction. You walk into the room, there's silence, but it's not peaceful. There is tension there because of something that was said, something that was done, something that we feel. A lot of people have this tension when it comes to God. Okay, how do I come before God? I haven't lived the life I should have lived. I haven't done the things that I should have done. I failed. I don't meet the standard that I should. I know I'm not doing what I can. I haven't read enough this week. I haven't prayed enough this year. I haven't acted the way I should act. And we feel as if there's some tension there. And Paul's saying, no. Because we've been justified through faith, we have, that's present tense, peace with God. That it doesn't matter how much you read, it doesn't matter how much you pray, it doesn't matter how well you're doing, you have 
peace with God. That you can come before him. I love how it says that through verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We stand. We don't crawl. We stand. It reminds me of Hebrews 4, where it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, which is Jesus, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has paid the way. We are justified by faith in him. What he's done, our high priest has gone before us. He has made the way. He has taken the price, the penalty. We talked about propitiation, that atoning sacrifice. Jesus has taken care of all that's needing to be taken care of so that we can have peace with God, so that now we can come with confidence. Come on, when could we come before God with confidence? What can you do that's going to give you confidence before God? How good do you have to be? How good can you be? It don't matter. You ain't that good. It's just not going to happen where you can have confidence and go before God and say, hey, I'm here to get that mercy that I need right now. You just don't have it. I don't have what it takes to come before the presence of God. But Jesus does. Jesus did. Now you can. You have peace with God. Not based on what you've done. Based on what he's done. But it's important to recognize that we can stand, we can come with confidence to the very throne of God and, as Hebrews tell us, find grace in our time of need. How many of, need, how many of you need grace? We'd all do. And the picture here is then... If you're not receiving what you need, it's because you're not recognizing that you're at peace with God. See, if Karina and I are having an argument, first of all, it's, it's her fault. <laughs> Just kidding. First of all, what it does is it puts us at, <laughs> yeah. don't worry, I'll deal with this later. <laughs> first of all, what it does is it brings that un, unabil, inability to, to communicate. Because there's something there. I cannot come up to her and just say, you know, whatever, talk like if nothing's there. There's something that has to be resolved before I can take care of that. Sometimes I know what it is, sometimes I don't. <laughs> sometimes it's easy to distinguish and to talk about it. Maybe there's you know, something that's needing to be said, but when there's peace there, I have no problem going up to her. I have no problem communicating because everything's good. He's wanting us to know that everything is okay on his aspect so that we can come to him. And I don't feel that way all the time, and I bet you don't either. 
I have a, a, a clear memory of all my shortcomings this day, this hour, this week, my lifetime. And I am, for some reason, able to remember those things whenever I need to come and find that grace and time. You can't come now. After the way you talk to your wife, you just insulted her in the Bible study. How can you come before the Lord? You're going to come before God now? I need him now. Okay, then there's peace. Come to him now. And that's the picture that he's trying to paint here. And I love, as I was going through some commentaries, some of the titles that were given to this section. One of them was the new prospect, well-grounded hope, glorious benefits of being right with God, having peace with God. Those were all the like captions, of, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. All those titles giving us this assurance, this recognition that we have this new standing with God. Because of what Jesus has done, we can stand before him. We can rejoice, and it says, in the hope of the glory. We rejoice in the hope of the glory. Now, the idea is that we've been justified. We've talked about justification. It's more than forgiveness. It's setting us just as if. It's making things right, as if there was no debt at all. This past week, dealing with the bank, our home loan was under Washington Mutual. They've changed now to Chase. And we've been getting all kinds of mail saying, you know, this account's going to do this, this account's going to do this. You know, and I mean, I've got stacks of letters telling me all the things that are going to be happening. And should I read them? Yes. <laughs> do I? No. I, I'll read them. I don't think that's real important. You know, I think that's just a, okay. So our home loan was supposed to take money out of our account this week. And it didn't on the day it usually does. And I have it on my, you know, Outlook money gone today, you know, and I, you know, Corrine actually said, hey, it didn't happen, you know, on this day like it normally does, and now three days later, I said, okay, I'll go to the bank, went to the bank, and oh, man, trying to get them to find the account, well, it's not showing up in this account anymore, it's not showing this up account anymore, and I'm like, well, praise God, someone paid our home loan, and, <laughs> and hoping, you know, that it would just disappear, but no, that wasn't the case, so finally found the right account now under Chase, went to the bank, took the money out of our account, paid the loan, there it was done. It's like, oh good, okay, I feel better now. We're, we're being responsible homeowners, you know, did our job. Well, later that day, Chase took the money out again. <laughs> yeah, it, it, no one paid our home loan. Chase said, no, we'll take it out on this day. So our home loan paid twice. Yeah. So I got to go back to the bank and, and say, hey, um, here's what happened. And they kind of know me by name now. You know, I go in there, hey, Sam, how's it going? Some coffee? What do you want? You know, they, they took me. I talked to the guy. He said, oh, this is going to be difficult. You know, this is going to be a problem. I'm like, figures. Uh, well, what can we do? And he went out behind this door. There's something in the other room that makes it able to come back and tell you what happened. So they went back and they probably went in there and oh, this is going to be something. You know. And they came back, okay, here's what, anyway, finally they said, we're going to resolve it, but it's going to take three days. I go, okay, just to let you know, in that three days, there are things that are going to bounce. 
from now to then. I just want you guys to know it. And he said, no problem. In three days when that happens, we're going to credit all those things back to you. All the finance charges, we're going to justify them as if they never were there. I'm like, sweet. Okay. That's the idea of justification. As if it never happened. As if I had the money in the bank all the time. It's justified. And so we are justified before God. And this idea now of justification, more than forgiveness, we have right standing. It's our money in the bank and we have hope of the glory of God. In other words, we have a promise to be with him in the future. That is our hope. It's something that's there. It's something that we can bank on. You're going to be able to see this. And so we rejoice in this hope. Because God has dealt with our sin through Jesus, I am going to be in his presence in eternity. I have that hope. He goes on, though, in verse 3, and he says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in suffering. <laughs> okay, bummer. It's like you were doing so good, rejoicing in the hope of the glory, but now why do we have to rejoice in suffering? Why does that have to be a part of this picture? Why couldn't you have just left it alone? You were fine when you had a rejoicing in glory, but now I have to rejoice in suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We come back to hope. Hope is in God. Hope in the things that God has, has established for us. You know, it is in suffering that the deepest things in our life take place. It is through times of suffering that we get to the core of who we really are. It is through times of suffering that we develop character. It's been said that difficult times don't make character, they show the character that is there. And so many times that's true. And what Paul is trying to get us to see here, and not only does Paul do this, but I mean, we see it also in James and in Hebrews, but Paul is trying to say, you know, there's something more that you need to be looking at. And the suffering that you're going through here is shaping you for that more that is to come. That's why in, in chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that our present suffering is not worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. Remember, we're rejoicing in the glory of God. We're, we're looking for that day. And then he says later on, the suffering, you can't compare it to the glory that's going to be revealed. I sure can when I'm going through it. Can't you? It's like... Don't be telling me about the glory to be revealed. Right now, I'm in some suffering here. I, and it seems to be what I focus on. And I get so captured by the present moment that I lose vision for the hope that is beyond. And I don't realize that God is doing something in me now that is necessary and that there is something better for me later on, that I have this hope coming. Have you ever really wanted to be somewhere? 
going on a trip, vacation. You can't wait till you know Friday or when that day comes when you're gonna finally leave work and go. Years ago, we went to Wales. It was my second trip, and my son Daniel was gonna go with us. He was probably 14 years old at the time, and he was so excited. First time he'd ever been on a plane. He's going to Europe. He's going with his buddies. You know, going to Wales on this mission team with Dad. I threw that in. Hopefully he's thinking that, you know, <laughs> my dad's going to be there. <laughs> he was excited. He had his stuff packed. He was, you know, got his passport. All those things were just excited about him. Now, if you know Daniel, when Daniel goes to sleep, give it up. There, there ain't no waking him up. I'm serious. We would throw water on him to get him up because you talk to him, Daniel, hey, get up. Back asleep. No, Daniel, come on, shake him. Yeah, yeah, what, what, what? You need to wake up. Uh-huh. And he sit there, stare at you for a second, and then boom, back in. I mean, he just would not snap out of it. Well, that morning we had to get up early so we could meet the group, go down to the LAX. I kid you not, I opened the door that morning that we're going, open the door, I go, Daniel, and he goes like this. He smiles, sits up, and smiles. He woke up with a smile. He'd been waiting for this trip. And he woke up like he was a butterfly. <laughs> and he just got up out of bed, and he was went into the shower, because he could not wait for this day. There was the hope for this day. Came, it came. He was ready. That's the hope we have in heaven just to be with the Lord and the sufferings and the things that we're dealing with Paul says they're not worthy to be compared with in fact God is doing something in the suffering to accomplish a good work within us it says of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 although he Jesus was a son he learned obedience from what he suffered Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. There in Gethsemane when he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. God said, yes. The character of my son has just been displayed for the world to see. If Jesus learned obedience through suffering, do you think we need to? Yes. And as much as I hate saying it, suffering is a necessity in our lives. It's a necessity to get us to deal with the things that really matter and to put aside the things that don't. The word that's used there for suffering is the word crushing. We're not talking about locking your keys out of the car, or it'd be in the car actually. I don't know what happens if you lock them out of the car. <laughs> Can't help you there. We're not talking about stubbing your toe. We're talking about those things in life that crush you. We're talking about like what's happening with Cynthia. Talking about real issues that put you into a place where you can't just figure the way out. Where you can't call AAA where you're in a desperate situation where the only thing you can do is cry out to God. 
where you come to the end of your ability and you come to the beginning of God's ability. And you see, a lot of us will never get to that place unless we are crushed. And the idea of crushing is the idea of crushing olives to make olive oil. That press, that they press the olives to get that oil out. And I've never tried to get olive oil, but I think you have to crush them pretty good to get any oil out of them. It's necessary with our own lives. When I was in China, when we smuggled Bibles in there, we got to meet with a man named Panda. I've shared this story before. This was a guy who spent 10 years in prison as a pastor. It was a, a code name that they gave him. He had to change his name so they wouldn't find his family and persecute his family as well. In 10 years in prison for being a pastor, for being a Christian, they finally kicked him out of the prison because a lot of the guards were getting saved and the people in the prison were becoming people of faith as well. And they said, just get him out of here. After 10 years, we got to meet with him and we talked with him. And as we were talking with him, I was wanting to find out what was it like to be in prison? You know, was it, you know, give me the dirt. How bad was it? You know, were there rats crawling around? I was just, you know, morbid like that. I was just wanting to know how horrific was it? But I couldn't get anything horrific from this man. All I heard was about the joy that he had in seeing these people come to faith, about how God used him in this situation. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. This guy, you cannot bring him down. And it was in that time of prison that the Lord used him. And all I could see was how God was at work in his life. And as we were there in the restaurant, they didn't serve us any food. And I was like, man, I was hungry. You know, come on, you guys, bring us some food. And they would just walk past us. And it wasn't until later on that I found out it was because we were with him. That they knew who he was as well. And they were not going to serve him because they didn't want to be identified with this man. And here I was complaining because I wasn't getting my food and all this guy was talking about was the joy of the Lord. This man was put in a position where he was broken, he was crushed, but all that came out of him was more of Jesus. Would you be willing to be crushed if Jesus would come out of you? That, that takes serious thought. Well, how bad of a crushing, God? What, what, what does... What are you talking about? Are you talking about serious crushing or just slightly crushing? No, I'm talking about being crushed. Well, I don't know. If we see the suffering as the problem, then we don't see the big picture because our focus is on the temporary instead of the eternal. Paul seems to think there's not even a way to equate the two. And that's why James tells us in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Don't you hate these verses? <laughs> Consider it pure joy. It's like, what planet are you on? No, I'm seated in heavenly places. Where are you? My thoughts are on the things above, not on the things of earth. Where are you? And it's convicting. Count it pure joy when you face different trials. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. It's going to help you get through. 
It's going to develop character. It's going to develop patience within you. Perseverance must finish, finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to be mature in our faith? Don't we want to not lack? Well, we're going to have to go through crushing. We're going to have to go through suffering. So recognize that because it's not about the suffering. It's about what God is doing in you in spite of the suffering. I remember a friend of mine said, you know, Sam, you're, you're such a patient guy. We had our kids were young at that time. He goes, you're so patient with kids. It's like, you know what? That's because I gave up a long time ago. <laughs> if I wasn't patient, everyone would be dead. <laughs> I had to be patient because what are my choices here? I had four kids running around. It produced patience. I had to. It brought me to a place where I said, oh, milk on the floor, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Oh, the carpet's burnt. <laughs> it's worse than the milk on the floor, but it doesn't matter. Palm tree went up in flames. Wow. <laughs> you deal with the things as they come. All true stories, by the way. Okay, let's move on. It produces... Something good. It produces perseverance. Produ perseverance produces character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. I love that. You guys, it does not disappoint. It will not fail you. It does not let you down. King James, it says, will not make a shame. One commentary, it says, it is not illusory. In other words, it's not an illusion. I love that. This is a hope that is sure. It won't disappoint you. You won't be let down. God's not going to forget. And we need to remember that. It does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given. And now we come to what really is the focus here is God has given us his Holy Spirit. We are now the property of God. He's made his home within us. And all these things are happening so that God can produce more of this within our lives so that we can recognize him within our lives. He has given us his Holy Spirit. We are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit. And how important is it to recognize the new covenant and what this is really about isn't that you will be a better person, that you will do good things, that you will go to church regularly. What this is about is that you and I will belong to God. That's what this is all about. That's the new covenant. That's what God is trying to work within us. The recognition that you are God's home. You are the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize that? No? Well, let's crush some stuff and get the things out of the way that need to and help you to realize that so that you can realize that. Verse 6. I better move along here. Um, you see, as just at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, first he starts off in talking about person's not going to die for someone who's good or, you know, someone's somewhat good. He's not going to... What, what he's doing here is showing the comparison and contrast, how man thinks of things, how a man would be willing to... Well, man's not really going to die for someone who's in this state, but God did. God die, died for us when we were separated from him, when we were sinners, when we were enemies. God was willing to give himself for us. It shows the extent of God's love. First John 3.16, it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. While we were yet sinners, when you were in the worst place you could be, God reached out for you. Do you understand that? Okay, then. Now. Now that you have been justified by his blood, now that you have been brought into the family, do you think he loves you less? No. He's going to continue that work in you. If he showed you mercy when you were his enemy, how much more is he going to, as he's reconciled to you, how, verse, let's, Take it here, verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall he be saved through his life? Shall we be saved through his life? In other words, if God reached out for you when you were his enemy, how much more is he going to work in your life now? But for some reason, we forget. We think, ah, oh, he can't love me now. I, look where I'm at. Look what I've done. No, he loved you when you were an enemy. If he's brought you into his family, you think he's going to love you less? When our kids were younger, and they were hanging out with their friends, every now and then they'd have a friend who, you know, we weren't so crazy about. You know, this kid down the street was trouble. Well, I had to deal with my son. I don't have to deal with the neighbor down the street. I could say, uh-uh, you need to go now. My son, I couldn't do that. He's my son. You know, he's 10 years old or whatever. It's like, I can't just throw him out of the street. Why? He's my son. I, I'm committed to him. I'm invested in him. The neighbor kid, no, no, I don't have to invest in him. I mean, I care for him, but if he's going to cause detriment to my kids, Sorry, my son, it's a different story. I'm invested in him. God is invested in us. We've been brought into his family. In fact, when we were the neighbor kid down the street that was the troublemaker, God said, I care for you. I'm going to adopt you into my family, bring you into my family. So now you're here. Do you think when you were that troublemaker 
and you were causing all the problems, if I cared about you then to bring you in your family, you think I'm going to kick you out now? No. I brought you in here so I could do that work. And reconciliation is a beautiful word. It's bringing us back together. We've been brought together through Jesus Christ. And so because of him, we have this life now in him. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Verse 12, he goes on, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin, by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. And so now he's, he's talking about what we call the Adamic nature. It's a fallen nature of man. And he's talking about that sin entered the world through one man. It was through Adam. We inherit it. It's our DNA makeup. It's our bent. And it's not hard to see. All of you who are parents know that you do not have to train your kids to lie. You don't have to train them to be selfish. You don't have to train them to sin. They just do it naturally. They can do it so well, too. It's something that they are bent on. It's You have to teach them not to be selfish. You have to teach them to be kind. You have to teach them not to lie. Because their natural bent is that way. A lot of people think, well, that's not fair. You know, Adam sinned and so we all, it's not my fault. As if you could do any better. Adam was like our, our number one guy. He was our champion. You know, he was hot off the press. You know, he, he didn't come with baggage. You know, he didn't have a dysfunctional family to blame or anything like that. He, he had it all going for him, and he still fell. It's as if our Olympic team, you know, our Olympic, you know, weightlifter was there. And, you know, this guy goes up there, and, you know, he gets a silver medal, and you think, oh, that's not fair. He represented our country. You get in there. <laughs> you do it. It's like, that was our champion. He was the best we had, and he fell. And because of that fall, we have all inherited this nature. It's a part of what we are as human beings. And it's something that is there throughout the world. And even though the law was not there till Moses, everyone is still involved. Sin wasn't apparent until there was a law. What does that mean? Well, if you're driving up, say, to Northern California on the I-5, this happened to me once, you know, and it's like, okay, the, it was early in the morning, the roads are clear, I can do 90 miles an hour because, you know, I'm stupid or whatever, but I can drive that way until I see the lights in my rearview mirror. And then it's like, oh, there's the law. That's right, I'm only allowed to go this fast. And I exceeded. Now, if I was in Germany on the Autobahn, where there is no speed limit, well then I could go 90. And I wouldn't have to worry about because there is no law. It might still be stupid, especially in my truck, but I could do it. But once the law came into back, it's like, oh, you just crossed the line. This law made us aware of those things in our life. Verse 15 goes on, but the gift 
is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He's still talking about contrast here. He's talking about the death that came through Adam. Well, if the death came through Adam and the trespass that this one man did, how much more is God going to compensate through Jesus Christ? How much more? We see the evidence of death and sin around us. It's everywhere. And God's saying, if you can see that it's here, if you see the result of sin, you see what it's done, how much more is the gift of Christ and the life that he gives able to do? And it's, the answer is a lot more. Just as man's love, well, he might die for someone who's good, but he's not going to die for someone who's unrighteous, will he? Well, God will. Well, the one man sinned, entered into sin, and all of us have been kind of brought into this place. How much more is this gift that God's giving able to bring everyone out? And that includes us. Consequently, verse 18, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So one is brought in so that we're all brought into this place, but through the one, we are all able to be made righteous. This is an important thing to realize because we are all in need. And it's important to see each other in this way. If you see someone who has a genetic defect, you might look at them and say, oh, that poor person, they were born with this genetic problem. Maybe they have Down syndrome or whatever it might be. You see that issue in them. What is your thought towards them? It's usually compassion. Well, God has showed us compassion because we've got a genetic defect. And he has brought about a cure. It's through the person, the person of Jesus Christ that he's able to justify us. He's able to bring us out of our condition. He's able to heal our brokenness and reconcile us to himself. And it's through the obedience of Jesus that this happens. Just as the first Adam fell, the last Adam is able to bring us back. You know, it's amazing how one situation can affect everyone. I mean, we know it even historically. The atom bomb, it changed the world. Killed 90 plus thousand 
in a moment of time, leveled every building in four miles from the epicenter, I think killed up to 300,000 people. That's a lot of people through the course of time, and it changed the world as we knew it, the power struggle and how things were there. Well, there was another atom bomb at the beginning when Adam fell that affected all the world, that affected us, that changed who we are in our relationship with God. But there was the person of Jesus who brought us back. And just like one man caused the fall, one man brought the reconciliation. Now, it's important to recognize that the reconciliation takes place by trusting, by putting faith in, by having this relationship with. And it, it's so important that we remember the relational part of our aspect with God. That it's something that we have to be a part of. It's something that we involve ourselves in. God has done his part we now need to do our part and be a part of that relationship. We have to have faith in him. We have to trust in his work. We have to yield ourselves to what he desires and not just what we want. We have to obey. We love him because he first loved us. We are responding to what he's done for us. He is taking care of the problem with the first Adam by the last Adam, Jesus. Now what are we going to do? We're going to put ourselves in a place where we have faith in him because of what he's done. We want to trust in him so that we too can enjoy the fruit and be made righteous. Verse 20, it says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I love that. The law was there so you could see what was wrong, but where, where you saw the sin that was there, grace was over it. No matter how bad the situation is, God's grace is able to cover it. No matter how bad that fall was, the last Adam has done a lot more to reconcile. And just like that one person caused the problem that we're all enduring, that we would all be a part of anyway, that last Adam, Jesus Christ, has done something that we can benefit from even far above what the death that we faced in the first Adam is. No matter what that is, Jesus has done more. There's the contrast. Oh, this was bad. This is so much better. Oh, look how bad this is. This is way better. It's able to compensate that no problem. And that's the idea that he's trying to bring out here. It's increased all the more. Verse 21, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So just as sin reigned in death, that's what Adam brought into us, so grace, trusting in Jesus, might reign through righteousness, making us right with God, bringing eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One brought death, the other brings life, and it brings eternal life. We need to recognize our condition and recognize the solution in Jesus Christ. 
and put our faith. It is by grace that this curse gets lifted. It is by faith in Jesus Christ, the grace that God gives, that this curse of the first Adam is lifted off of us so that we can have eternal life with him. Any questions on these things that we talked about? About first Adam, last Adam, how grace, any thoughts on that or things that you have questions on? Okay. I've got to find a way to bring that out so it's not so awkward. But anyway, if you do have questions, please, you can talk to me afterwards about it. I, I hope we understand here what God has done through Jesus Christ, again, making a giving us peace with God. What a beautiful thing that we'd recognize that our lives are now the temple of the Holy Spirit and all that happens in our lives, God is producing something good in and through them, even though we don't see it all the time. Even though we might not be able to grasp hold of it, in the end it produces something good just, just as those who have been in that situation where they've been crushed counted all joy. How can you do that? Well, if you've been there and you've seen God bring out his work in you through that crushing then you can look back and say it was good just like that man panda did just like paul was able to just like james was able to there are uh, examples with people who've been in situations where they've been crushed can come out and say you know what god produced something good in my life and i hope we'll be able to do the same let's pray god i do ask that you would quicken these things to our hearts once again, I lift up Cynthia, who is in this period of struggle and uh, father suffering. I pray that you would have mercy on her and that you would produce those eternal things. Bring hope to her, Lord, hope that does not disappoint, hope that will not be ashamed, hope that is not an illusion, Lord. I pray that you would bring her strength. I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of these things as well. Recognize Lord, the condition of the world around us, Lord, that we would have compassion, even as you've had compassion on us. Father, we are genetically just disfigured in so many ways, but through your son, you have brought restoration. You have brought reconciliation. You have brought justification. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, for your mercy, for your compassion towards us. I pray you would bless in Jesus' name.